morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Let's stand together and worship. From the highest up to the earth below, you lay down your life for the likes of us. Great is the love of the Savior. From old
Amen. Everyone doing good this morning? You know, I um, love this idea that we all come from different walks of life. You know, we all have different stories. We all have different pasts and presents. And, and we've even had all kinds of different weeks, some good, some bad. But when we gather here together this morning, we get to sing with one voice unified, lifting up the name of Jesus. And I think that's something pretty incredible and pretty special. You know, the Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so the fact is, we each have breath that's given to us by God, and we get to send that right back to him in adoration and praise and gratitude and thankfulness. And so as we continue to worship this morning, the Bible also says he inhabits the praises of his people. So that means as we praise him, his presence fills this room. And it's in his presence that miracles happen. It's in his presence that we can break free of stuff. And God wants to speak. He's a very living God. He's a present God. He isn't some distant God, some idea. He's here. He's personal. And he wants to have a personal conversation with you right now in these moments. So just give him your heart. Give him the very breath that he gave you right back to him in praise. And watch how he moves in your life this morning. So let's continue to worship together.
with your presence here right now. And Father, all of this praise is for you. We lift you up. We honor you. Father, thank you so much that we can gather together like this. You said that if we don't praise you, the rocks will cry out. And so God, we lift our praise up to you this morning, no matter how we're feeling, God. It's so important for us to focus in on you. And so Lord, we do that right here and you promised us that you'd give us your Holy Spirit we sense you we know that you're here and so Father I pray for every person in this place those that are online I know there are some that may be discouraged some that have had a great day but Lord it's not dependent on how we feel it's dependent on you and so Father we thank you so much not for all of the things that you do for us, but just for who you are. Father, I pray that you'll be with Pastor Chris today as she speaks to us about those encounters that we can have with Jesus. Father, I pray that our hearts will be in tune, that our ears will hear, that we'll listen for your voice. And God, we're going to give you all the praise and all the glory for everything that happens here today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to church. This is our new service time at 10 o'clock, and, and it's great to see you here today. And uh, so you did spring forward, and some, I'm sure, fell back in the bed. But anyway, we're glad that you're here today. Uh, Gay and I enjoyed a week in Frisco, Colorado. Yeah, um, uh, our board gave us a gift, Pastor's Appreciation, and told us we could go anywhere we wanted to go, and we wanted to go to the snow, and I can promise you, we went to the snow. <laughs> there was about six foot of snow while we were there, uh, a few feet, couple feet when we arrived, and every night it seemed to uh, snow another couple feet. But here's what I want to say about that. They only missed two days of school. <laughs> I'm thinking... Good gracious, we don't go to school if we have uh, snow flurries. And so anyway, I was a little embarrassed to be here talking uh, or there, seeing them go to school. Uh, anyway, you know what I mean, it's early. Check in. It's time to check in on Facebook. Just let people know how incredible you feel being here this morning and how great your church is. And, and uh, so other people can see that and maybe say, you know what, I want to be there and check that out. If you're a first-time guest today, we welcome you. We're really glad that you're here. And as you leave today, there's a table uh, as you leave that says first time guest. And we'd love for you to stop there, pick up your free gift, and let us get to know you there uh, as well. So anyway, uh, we're going to take our tithes and offerings here in just a moment. Uh, tithes and offerings. Our tithe is that which we uh, give back to God, which is his. And then we give offerings above that. But anyway, every Sunday we do that, and God blesses uh, us and blesses you. You know, we... Always give our 10% every Sunday. We give at least 
uh, 15% actually every Sunday uh, or every Monday when we pay the bills. Our first bill is to pay our tithes and offerings off of what you have given to us. And God blesses us and we make it. Uh, and uh, so I know that uh, those of you who have been faithful in giving God back his tithe, his first, the first 10%, God has blessed you as well. So the offering will come in just a few moments. We have started our Road to Hope devotionals. They started on Lent uh, Wednesday and will continue to 40 days up until Easter. And so you can join us by going to your app, mobile app, or going online at SalemFields.com. Uh, find the hope, and you can read those daily. I hope you'll take that journey with us. Today, following this service, there's a membership class, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. Uh, we call it a membership class, but uh, the reality is it's a place where you can find out more about Salem Fields Community Church. And if you so desire to join uh, and be a part of this fellowship, you can do that as well. But I would encourage you, if you've never been to that class and you go to Salem Fields, that you would take that opportunity today. I remember uh, also next, uh, in two weeks, our board elections are coming up. This is a very important time of the year where we elect our leadership board. Our leadership board partners with Gay and I in, uh, in uh, leading this church, and it's a very important time in the life of Salem Fields Community Church, and this is a very important election. So we hope that you'll mark that in your uh, brain or on your calendar and be a part of that. Uh, you, uh, the only requirement to vote is to be a member of the church, and uh, you, if you're not a member and you want to be a part of that, you can join uh, today and do that. So we are really glad you're here. I hope that you sense God's presence, and if you're a guest, we hope you come back again sometime.
good morning, Salem Fields. Who is on their third cup of coffee for today? Anyone? Yes. Well, I am wired, even if you're tired. So let's get this thing going today. So we are in a new series. We're starting a new series we're calling Encounters that we're capping off today, and it's going to be the next four weeks or so. And, and as I was thinking about uh, just starting this message, it, it came to my attention that isn't it true that throughout life we have kind of chance encounters with people that can be life-transforming? Isn't, isn't that true? That we have seemingly chance encounters that transform us. Um, and, and just to think of a couple of these, maybe this, this goes for you, but maybe that's how you met your spouse, right? It was the chance, seemingly chance encounter, the, the gathering you didn't want to go to that the friend invited you to that you wound up going to, and lo and behold, you're with each other still, however, many years later. Or, or maybe it's uh, your sweetheart or your closest friend. You know, you didn't plan signing up for that class or going to that company, but you did, and lo and behold, you met that person. Uh, some of us have a, someone in our lives that has unexpectedly influenced us or, or maybe in, even impacted the job or the profession that we've chosen. You know, that, that you've run into a stranger, maybe, that's changed your life. Well, I think that goes for mostly all, just about all of our stories, that we have someone in our lives that has changed our lives, an encounter that's changed our lives. And, and what I'd like to do just to start off today, I know as a, as a large church, sometimes it's hard to connect with people or just get to meet one another. There might be someone sitting in front of you that sat there for the last three weeks that you're like, I don't know what their name is, whatever. So what I'd like you to do is to think of a time, an encounter that changed your life. And so think about that for a second. I'm going to invite you to turn to somebody around you um, preferably take a risk, somebody that you don't know, introduce yourself and say your name and just share briefly kind of Cliff Notes version about that encounter. We're going to take about 90 seconds to do this. So think of that. So on the count of three, I want you to turn to somebody around you and share an encounter that changed your life or impacted your life. Ready? One, two, ready, set, go. Okay, I know that was super, super short, but the good news is after the service, you can continue that story. You can share a little bit more. Um, <clears throat> so I just want to ask, ask you guys, as you were just sharing right now, who shared a story about your spouse or significant other? Just raise your hand, right? <laughs> chance encounter, right? Seemingly chance encounter. What about, what about the job you're in or your profession? Maybe you stumbled across that or someone introduced you to that. Um, what, what about a, another situation? Maybe it's a, a family or how you ended up in moving here to Fredericksburg area. Uh, the, it's interesting because when we tell the story of our lives, 
we tell stories of encounters. We tell stories of encounter after encounter after encounter, some that were planned, but many that were not. Well, as I was thinking about this, um, I thought I'd share with you a little sketch of the encounters in my life that have been life-changing or life-altering. This is a sketch of some, but not many. Um, Some of you guys know that I like to doodle in my spare time. You're going to see a couple of doodlings today, but uh, just some of these things were the best friend that I met in fifth grade, happened to be in my class that year, the Sunday school teachers. I grew up in the uh, Catholic tradition. Um, We didn't go to Sunday school necessarily. I thought I'd write Sunday school because that's what most people are familiar with. We call it CCD. If you know, okay, we got some mm-hmms. Okay, so you, you understand. We went to actually to CCD on Monday instead of Sunday, so that was even just a little bit weird. But the Sunday school teachers that really uh, exposed me to faith, two of whom, one just turned, I think, 92 years old and I'm still in touch with, which is really amazing. Um, my middle school social studies teacher who um, just impacted my life and helped me think about the world in a different way. My track coach, um, I got cut from the softball team and joined the track, uh, track team and to this day continue to run because of that. My, the internship fair I wasn't going to go to and yet met someone there that introduced me to the field of environmental and marine science. That was my career before I started in ministry. The science lab I was working in, at in Maryland. The priest I went to talk to about some real life deci- decisions and questions. The coworker who invited me to a group that she was forming, the small group of people from all different backgrounds and places that I never would have ever probably made friends with hadn't we been a part of. And the friend of a friend of a friend that actually led me here to Salem Fields. Isn't that cool that you can look at the timeline of your life and you can usually tell your story by a series of encounters? But the most important encounter among them is the one I just skipped over that some of y'all are like, oh my gosh, he skipped over. But it's Jesus, right? Is that, that those of us that, that follow Christ, that are Christians, that are believers, we've had an encounter with Jesus that's changed our story and changed us. Something that we can look back to and be reminded of even in the times that we struggle, even in the times that we doubt. But what's true of every encounter in life, and is also true with Jesus, is that we also have the option of being open and receptive for our story to change or to be closed and unavailable. That it's our choice. We can be willing to have that encounter and be changed because of it, or we can step back and kind of go our own way and refuse to be changed. Well, the good news is that we have a God of encounters. We have a God of encounters whose stories are told throughout this book, throughout the Bible. For, for centuries, God had been, people had imagined God to be this kind of far-off, distant God who kind of set things into motion down here on earth and kind of stepped away and went back to his couch to eat bonbons and watch the world play like a Netflix show. People, that's what people were thinking, or they believed that, that they had an idea of what God could be like, or gods could be like, and they kind of sketched out all these different gods that controlled fire and wind and water and love, and, and these gods were always angry at people, at humanity, so humanity had to constantly try to make them happy, and so they, they came up with these ideas about what God or gods would be like, but we found out in history, God is very much different than that. 
God is a God who is with people, with his people. And that's not better illustrated than in the person of Christ who uh, we sing at Christmas time, right? The Christmas carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us. That God is not a far-off deity or one that's trying to punish us, but rather is a God that loves us so much that he came down to earth to be with us. That Jesus himself is that person who is all about encounters. And that's the story of all the Gospels, the four accounts that we have of the life and the ministry of Jesus that tell us story after story of people who encountered Jesus. And we see that with Jesus, Jesus changes things. You know, we, you define what an encounter is. It, it most likely looks like this. is one person plus another person plus a place plus a time. That's what we identify as an encounter. But with Jesus, Jesus changes that. Jesus changes that to the, where we have with Jesus, Jesus plus any person, plus any place, plus any time, can become a life-changing encounter. That with Jesus, no one is off limits. You can't have a worse enough past or have done enough bad things or, or, or be someone that you think does not deserve. No, nobody is off limits of an encounter with Jesus. An encounter with Jesus can happen in any place, and I think each and every one of our stories can tell about that, or at any time. It's, it's not confined to a building or not confined to a specific location or time, but that any of these things, this, this sequence can become a life-changing encounter. See, with Jesus, people in proximity to Jesus are changed. Some people encounter Jesus directly, some intentionally, some of us stumble upon Jesus. Some people run into Jesus. Some people run away from Jesus. And maybe that's you. But nobody, nobody escapes unchanged. So the first encounter we're going to look at today in this series is one of my favorites. It's a story that connects with me. It's Jesus' encounter with a skeptic, and his name is Nathaniel. Nathaniel, who becomes one of the followers of Jesus. But like many of us, he didn't have such a great track record. He grew up religious, but, but he didn't, wasn't necessarily the very person that you would pick to follow Jesus. But in Jesus' encounters with different people, we have to also see this, is that in each encounter, Jesus addresses big universal meaning of life questions. Questions that we all ask at some point in our lives, whether it's a growing up or whether it's as a teenager, a quarter life crisis, midlife crisis, and so on. When you ask questions like, what am I here for? You know, you ever ask that? Lie in bed at night, just, what is this all about? What is, what is the world for? What's wrong with the world? Like, why can't we just seem to be good enough and get things better? What can make it right? And more, a bigger question, how can we be a part of making it right? How do we find the answers to these questions? Well, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that Jesus appreciates questions. Some of us maybe grew up in a church or religious background where we were told, you know, don't ask questions, just believe, just receive and follow that. And, you know, the, the Bible says it, that settles it. Well, we see an alternative fact here is that Jesus actually welcomes questions. 
Jesus welcomes questioners. He welcomes people with questions because Jesus himself is the king of questions. Can anybody guess how many questions Jesus asked during the course of the Gospels? Any guesses? A lot. A lot. Yes. Yeah, so exactly 307. Three, Jesus asked 307 questions. He's the king of questions. He answered, he answered 183 questions. Jesus likes questions. That means that questions are not barriers to faith, but rather companions to encountering Jesus. They're not barriers unless we make them barriers, unless we stop there. So Jesus speaks to this guy named Nathaniel, and I think his story is, is very powerful. And I connect with that story because um, his story is really my story. It's a bit of my story. This is me circa 2007, I want to say, when I worked for the University of Maryland Center for Environmental Science as a scientist. And I had, was finishing my degree, my master's in environmental and marine biology. Um, we did not play with dolphins, by the way. We played with algae. It's, so if your child is wanting to play with dolphins, they might want to consider a different career path. But, um, but just to back up from there, I grew up in, in, uh, with a Catholic background, religious background. My parents and my brother and I, we went to church every week. I knew of Jesus, went to Sunday school, learned about Jesus. But, but I kind of liken it to being a, a part of, say, a football game, but being the person that's sitting in the bleachers, right? You see the game on the field, you know it exists, you know it's there, but you're kind of not, you're not really a part of it. You might be cheering, but, but you're watching other people play. You're hearing about other people who are impacted. Well, that was kind of my religious upbringing. And then, of course, as what happens with many of our lives, things get complicated as you grow up. And, and so I began to ask questions. And as things were happening in my life, as I encountered a series of deaths in a short period of time, I began to ask questions like maybe you've asked before, to say, well, why would God allow such bad things to happen to good people? Why would these, these bad things, why would people die like this? Why would this person take their own life? Why, how could a good God allow all this stuff to happen? And so I drifted away from church and from religion and began to ask these questions. And it wasn't until I moved to Maryland, to the eastern shore of Maryland, that I had it within me to try to begin to find those answers. And so I began what I call the Beckert Church Tour of 2007, when I toured about 50 different churches over the course of 52 weeks during that year, trying to figure out what is it that I believe in is this God is real, who is he, and what is he like? And I have to say it was not a very pleasant journey. The first church I went to, um, there might be somebody here that has a connection, it's called St. Mary's Refuge of Sinners. I don't recommend if you're going to start a church calling your church St. Mary's <laughs> Refuge of Sinners. Though while it may be true, it just, you know, it doesn't have that very sociable ring to it. And it was terrible, by the way. Um, so I, I went to churches. I tried to figure things out. I asked some questions and people just told me, like, don't you believe in Jesus? You know, and I got a lot of this just happened over and over and over again. And for a while... As I was working at Maryland and as I was doing my studies and writing a thesis, I just called myself a heathen for a while. I said, well, if, that's, if God really wants me, if God really has answers for me, then he's going to have to come out and search me. 
And, and so that was the place that I found myself. And that's the place that Nathaniel found himself. Because Jesus, Jesus, as he's beginning his ministry, he goes about the countryside beginning to find disciples and beginning to tap people on the shoulder and invite them. And Nathaniel is part of that story. So let's look at John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. That kind of unpacks, or kind of tells the story of Nathaniel, and then we'll unpack the, the whole uh, story after that. So scripture says this, when the, ne the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here, truly, is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So let's unpack a little bit about what's going on here. So, so first off, if you've ever read this scripture or heard this before, maybe you come to the same conclusion that I have. Isn't it kind of weird that like this, like Jesus kind of goes up to people and is like, follow me, and then they're like, okay, and they just kind of like go along like that. Isn't that kind of freaky? Like that doesn't happen in, in normal life. You'd be like, I don't know what I, what I would do, right? Well, we have to understand that at the time, Jesus was in the position of a rabbi, of a rabbi. And rabbis at the time, we know that had disciples or followers. So in the Jewish educational system, uh, which is very different than Spotsylvania County schools, um, that the Jewish educational system, you stopped going to school when you were 14. Um, and this is speaking to the men only because the girls did not go to school. But if you were 14, that was kind of the age of decision whether uh, you, it was determined what you would do with your future, what would happen to you. So if you were the best and the brightest, you were told that you needed to go find a rabbi to study under. You know, it's kind of like applying to colleges, except you had to go by foot to, to walk around and, and find somebody to follow. But if you didn't make the cut, if you weren't the best and the brightest, then you were told, okay, go home and follow your parents' business and get into the career that they're taking up and you were sent on your way. What we see in this story, we see that there's something very different going on here, knowing those things. That Jesus, uh, in the position of a rabbi, He's going out and recruiting disciples, very different than the rabbis of his time. So think about that. Jesus comes to people. Jesus comes to people because he wants to be with people. He goes out to find Philip. But the second thing is we know that Philip is someone who didn't make the cut. He didn't make the cut. He's not the best and the brightest. I was told on to find a rabbi or else he would be doing that. He would be along that way. But instead of, he didn't make the cut. And so Jesus is going to him and he's going to somebody that didn't make the cut to become his disciple. You know, if that were you, 
Wouldn't you be ecstatic, right? To be like, oh my gosh, somebody believes in me. Somebody's actually coming out to get me. You know, that's Jesus's character. And so Philip, of course, he's all excited. He's floored by what's going on. So what does he do? What's the first thing he does? He goes to his cynical, skeptical, prejudiced friend. You know, imagine that. Imagine having a cynical, skeptical, prejudiced friend. Nobody knows what that's like by any means, right? But, but he does that. That's his first choice. That's his first action. And he goes to this guy named Nathaniel. And the name Nathaniel means in Hebrew, gift from God. And this is a guy that thought he was, you know, you know people like that too. Maybe that's you. I don't know if you did. Maybe a little conviction going on in there today. But, but he goes up to, to Nathaniel and says, hey, I found him. The guy we've been talking about for 400 years now, that nobody is, nothing's happened, that God has promised, he's right here. And, and, and then Nathaniel, he ex- Philip expects Nathaniel to be like, oh, let's go, let's do this. But what does he say? He says, Nazareth, how can anything good come from there? He couldn't believe that somebody from Nazareth could have all the answers to the biggest questions of his time. Because Nazareth, Nazareth had a really negative connotation. This was a a town nobody wanted to be from. Nobody wanted to to say they were from. Um, If you grew up in a small town, you kind of know what this is like. You know, your town had the one stoplight and the one post office in the store. And when somebody asks you, where did you grow up? Don't you usually refer to like a bigger town or a city that's nearby? Right? And so, so this, is a, this was a town that's in the sticks. It's, it's where the rednecks hung out. It's where nobody wanted to go. It's where, where that was kind of off limits. And so, so Nathaniel just couldn't believe that someone from there could have all the biggest answers to the questions in our lives. But isn't it true that Nathaniel's attitude is really characteristic of the attitude of the human race? Aren't we always looking down on somebody, thinking that we're superior? I mean, we do this all the time. So for instance, if I asked you, where did the worst drivers come from? Maryland. Maryland. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, that's what I said. The other service, they were, what else? New York. York. That was like the number one, number two. Jersey. Jersey. Okay. They're the worst, right? They just can't drive. Especially, add like a dusting of snow, like, you know, then everybody... Goes, goes crazy. Um, what about this? Who have, who, what team has the worst fans? Philly. I take that. I'm, so I grew up in Philly. I take that with, you know, pride here just a little bit. Yeah, they have like a, the little prison that they have, I think, in the stadium for the, the rowdy fans that they have to lock up temporarily. Um, what about, what, about what, what location or what city has the meanest people? Florida. Uh, there's, ooh, the meanest people. Anybody? Yeah, well, I have to say the Orlando airport, on your, if, if you're going out of or flying out of Orlando, everybody's like upset and angry and crying and really upset. It's not the happiest place on, on earth necessarily. If you're leaving it, everybody's like, why do I have to go back? You know, just along that whole thing. But, but don't we tend to like make these like judgments and, and thoughts? But, but you know, if you ask somebody from Maryland or from New York or an Eagles fan, like who's the worst? They'll probably tell you somebody else, right? That when you're the object being looked down upon, you usually deal with it by finding others to look down upon. 
And so many people, I'm going to draw the parallel here, many people view Christianity just as Nathaniel viewed Nazareth, as something to roll their eyes at. Something to say, yeah, right, right. We, we, we know people like that. Maybe that's been part of your story. People love to roll their eyes at Christians and who Jesus is and what he's done for them. That, that you know, you might say, well, I grew up in church, but then, you know, when I grew up and I put He-Man and Shira and the Care Bears in the closet to the donation box, I grew up out of Jesus. And I moved on, and now I'm educated, I'm schooled, I know that that stuff is, is, is stuff that I don't really need anymore. But the thing is, Nathaniel's issue can become ours. It, the issue here is dismissiveness. Dismissiveness. Otherwise known as contempt. A recent article that just came out this week in the New York Times talked about one of the tragedies of our time is basically this feeling of dismissiveness and contempt that breaks up relationships, that basically stops us in our tracks before we're able to solve the problem or find the answer. That dismissiveness can be deadly because it kills our problem-solving ability and our creativity. That when we roll our eyes and dismiss something, we stop there. The eye roll, actually, very interesting. Maybe you text eye roll emojis. Um, uh, last night, my um, Carolina Tar Heels claimed our victory over Duke University. I was just so happy. And I had to text Buddy to um, rub that in because he's, of course, a UVA fan. And then he texts me back that UVA is number one in the ACC. And, of course, my text back was the eye roll. I had to do that. But, but the eye roll itself, it's interesting, it's really a warning sign, and you can be aware of this. It's a warning sign. It means that the person has, like, shut down the conversation. It's something that marriage counselors actually look for. If you're in marriage counseling, when one person rolls their eyes, they know that this relationship is in trouble, that the relationship can overcome obstacles, can overcome uh, conflict. But the eye, when the eye roll is present, it means that the person is dismissing the other person. See, when we stop there, when we dismiss our questions, when we stop at our questions and don't move any further, we're missing what's ahead in the story, in the journey. We're missing where we might find the answers to what we're looking for. It's like when you've misplaced your keys or your phone or your wallet or your glasses, maybe. You know, first, what's the first place that you look Right? If your glasses, you look on your, you got to look on your head first, like touch, touch, touchy. You know, and then the, the pocket, you know, is it in my pocket? Like that's the first place you look. What's the second place you look when you've, when you've misplaced something? Under the couch. Okay. Where else? You know, kitchen. The places that you've been, right? The places that you can kind of backtrack and say, okay, I was there, and let me see here, and look under there, and, and you look in those places. But then when you don't find it there, where do you have to start looking? You have to look, start looking in the places that your spouse tells you where it can't be. Right? It can't be there. It can't be in the garage. It can't be in the closet. It can't... And where will you find it? In the very place where it can't be. So, so, so track with me here. What, it, when we allow, when we dismiss, 
things, when we dismiss people, when we dismiss uh, even faith and Jesus because we're stuck here in the questions, we might be missing the answer that's in the place that we thought it can't be. When we stop there, we, we stop our path, we stop that journey of faith, we stop that, that thing that, that Jesus has for us. But we see in this story that it doesn't stop there, right? And why doesn't it? Because Philip does something. How does Philip respond? What's Philip's response when Nathaniel says, well, Nazareth, nothing good could come from there. What does Philip do? He writes the long Facebook rant, and then he unfriends this guy, and he says, good luck with that. I'm no longer part of your story, right? That's what he does. No, he says three words. He says, come and see. Come and see. Uh, uh, he doesn't take out scripture verses and, and try to, you know, hit the guy and say, he doesn't say, okay, well, you believe what you want to believe and, you know, you're no longer my friend or I'm just going to go off and follow this Jesus by myself. Instead, he says, come and see. Come and see. See, Philip doesn't give up on Nathaniel because Philip has just experienced a God who has not given up on him that he knows a God that has not given up on him. And Philip doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there with the invitation. He sees Nathaniel not as a problem, but as an opportunity. And I think for all of us, isn't that true, that an encounter with Jesus, for many of us, begins with an invitation to Jesus. An encounter begins with an invitation. Because we see, what is Nathaniel's response when Philip says, come and see? He goes with him. He goes with them. That underneath the surface of skepticism is really spiritual searching. And you know this. Maybe that's been a part of your story. You were skeptical. You were atheist, agnostic, whatever. You know, you, you, you put those, those, those boundaries up. You said, okay, well, I'm just not interested. But underneath the surface, you still lay awake at night asking those big questions. So many people in Nathaniel's time, just as in our time, were looking around at the world and asking those big questions. And Nathaniel was one of them, saying, well, why is all this stuff happening? That Nathaniel asked the question, well, for 400 years, God had been silent. 400 years since the last of the prophets had spoken. God had promised the Messiah, nobody came. All of a sudden, the Romans, now, boom, they just occupied Israel. And now guess what? The promised pe the God's people now were under Roman occupation, and they had to pay taxes to the Romans. They were threatened by the Romans. They were kept underneath the thumb of the Romans. They had their friends uh, put up and crucified around the cities if they didn't obey and follow the Romans. Like, what's with that? Like, God, where are you? And I imagine those are the questions that Nathaniel was encountering, that he wanted to make it look like he didn't care and that it didn't matter. But... Underneath, he was asking those things. And he came to the point where he asked, well, maybe, what if I didn't stop here? What if I didn't stop here? Maybe I just need to meet this Jesus. And that's my story. That, that my encounter with Jesus, when Jesus became real to me, that began as an invitation. And it began as an invitation from an unlikely person. 
So back to my story, I was searching and trying to figure things out in, in life and doing my science research, well, and calling myself a, a heathen because I didn't go to church and wasn't really sure where I was. And, and so there was a lady at the lab facility. She was one of the accounts receivable in the business office. Her name was Mary Ann. She's a soft-spoken lady, um, about, about 50 or so at the time. And um, she uh, you know, talked to people very, very friendly. Well, little did I know that she felt it in her her heart that she was called by God to start a small group at the lab, at the lab facility. And she knew me. She'd only known me for a couple of months. And in an encounter in line at Walmart, she invited me to join that group. I just happened to run into her that day. I remember it is very clearly that I ran into that day. She said, hey, Chris, I'm going to start this group. Would you like to join? It's going to be Tuesdays in this one classroom, lunchtime, just for an hour, we're going to meet together and talk about a, couple, a Bible passage, and we'd love, love to have you. And that group, that group changed my life. Because Marianne, as soft-spoken and introverted as she was, as she would describe herself, she pushed past that and extended an invitation to a searching girl scientist. And that group became my church for a while. And out of that group, there was a guy named Bear. Um, I think he still works at the facility. He's a mechanic. Um, it's an awesome name because he's like an inch shorter than me and probably like, like 20 pounds skinnier, but he could lift many heavy things. And so Bear invited me to join his church that was worshiping on, on Sunday morning. And it was through that community that I started to experience something I had never before. First, through the people that were there, but that no longer were they standing on the sidelines or sitting in the bleachers, but that they, they had taken a step to be on the field and to play the game. And that faith was not just something they thought about, but that they lived. And I remember sitting in a, in a service and just wondering and having all those questions. The questions were still there, but these people were not afraid of talking about those questions and the things they struggled with. And I remember sitting there and having this experience, an undeniable experience of Christ, to say that he is real and that he doesn't just want to be a part of my life, something I think about every now and then, but that he wants me to be, wants all of my life. He wants me to follow him, to step onto the field, just as these people had stepped onto the field, and to play the game and to live this out. And because of that, I was forever changed. See, it means just not stopping there, not stopping at the invitation, not stopping inviting, not stopping because you have the questions. You know, have you ever thought that maybe your current relationships could be God's strategy for others to encounter Jesus? Have you ever thought that, that a simple come and see, so even stepping out of your comfort zone, could mean that encounter that changes the trajectory of someone else's life? Well, Nathaniel encounters Jesus because Philip invites him. And he goes, they go with Jesus together. And of course, Jesus, he sees them from afar and he says this. He says, truly, here, truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And so Jesus is being rather nice, especially with this cynical, prejudiced, skeptical friend. Jesus, he calls him a transparent, straight-talking person. Jesus is putting it nicely because most people had thought probably Nathaniel was a jerk. 
He's a know-it-all. But this shows something about Jesus, that Jesus changes how we see ourselves, that, that Jesus is gentle with us, and that he sees us as more than as other people see us, as the world tells us we're expendable and that we don't matter that he changes how we see ourselves. And Nathaniel, the words out of his mouth, he's shocked, right? He asks, how do you know me so well then, Jesus? He, he thought he knew himself. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, I saw you before this time, when you were before Philip, I saw you underneath the fig tree, the fig tree. So what, what, does, what does this mean? I don't know. I, when I hear the word fig, I think of my, one of my favorite cookies. You know, Fig Newtons, raspberry, totally like to die for. But, but what, is, what is the fig tree? Well, the, the quick answer is we don't actually know for, for, uh, for certain. But, but one of the things we do know is that scholars think that, that this was basically to say someone was under their fig tree. It was to say that someone thought that they had arrived in life. So you when you were self-satisfied, when you were arrived. But it also meant, at the time, it also meant at a time, it was a saying that meant that this was where, it was a time of scripture study. That I imagine that fig trees were kind of like the ancient version of Starbucks. You would just find a lot of college students and high school students kind of camping out under them. But when the fig tree symbolizes the place that you look back on and you see where you had encountered Jesus without even realizing it. Jesus saw Nathaniel was studying scripture, and yet he didn't realize that Jesus was right there with him, that Jesus was speaking to him through those words, that Jesus knows Nathaniel better than he even knows himself, that there's a supernatural encounter that happens through God's word. And, and it's something that if you've ever read scripture and all of a sudden something has like jumped out to you or maybe even heard a message and you're like, whoa, like, you know, I, did they write that for me? Is that written here for me? Like, that's, that's the power of God. That's God speaking to you. See, because we like to be in control of how we're known, right? I, I don't know if you do this, but when I want to take like selfies, you know, you take your selfies, I take like 15 of them, right? You just like press the button down. And then what do you do? You go through them, yes, you pick the best. You're like, oh gosh, double chin in that one. Like, man, like, like look, look a little, you know, oh, that was a bad perspective. Oh, you see the zit right there, you know. That we like to be in control of how we're known. If you ever take an online personality test, you know this too, you know, when you, you, you look at uh, what Hogwarts character would you be or what house would you be, you know, you don't take these tests, I do, but, um, the, or Disney character or what superhero, what Marvel comic hero, you know, when you take that, you manipulate the test, right? You're like, I want to be, I want to be um, one of the Avengers or I want to be Cinderella or I want to be uh, Hufflepuff or I don't know like we, we, we try to we try to manipulate how we're seen but Jesus shows Nathaniel as he shows us he meets us underneath our fig tree as we are where we are even before we know it's him well when I was discovering all this and when I had come to faith and, and realized that, that Jesus was more than just something I would think about, that he was a relationship in my life that I was meaning to, to live out, I had a fig tree and it looked like this. It's an actual tree. Um, it was a place that I would go and 
I would take my Bible with me and sit underneath that uh, a mentor of mine from the church I began attending. He began to give me books to read that were answering my questions, and we would come together and talk about them. Um, and I remember sitting there underneath that tree on multiple occasions, just thinking and praying. But what's interesting is I can sense God's presence there more now than I did in that very moment. I can look back and see that that very place that Jesus saw me and encountered me just as I am. See, because an encounter with Jesus changes us, how we see ourselves, but it also changes how we know God. Because faith, faith is not meant to be just something we think about, to say, I mentally acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. Faith is actually a relationship term. It's a relationship term. Faith is not certainty. It's relationship because it's in the context of relationship that you learn and you grow and you, you develop deeper roots. And part of that is questions. Think about that encounter that you just shared earlier, that encounter that you first met that person that changed the trajectory of your life. Maybe it's been years since that first encounter, but my hope is that, that you probably got to know that person more and more, and it was probably by spending time with them and through questioning. And that's the same thing with Jesus, that faith is a relational term. And that faith, that, that means this, that something, faith is something you can stand on even when you don't have all the answers, even when you are asking questions, because those questions provide definition. There's those questions help you figure out what it means and, and where do you go from here. And it's interesting because Jesus, Jesus' response to Nathaniel when he says, you are the son of God, you are, you are the, the, the Messiah, Jesus basically tells Nathaniel, sit down and slow down, buddy. He says, you were like rolling your eyes two minutes ago at this. Don't believe just because I told you about the fig tree. Jesus insists that Nathaniel does a bit more thinking. That, that he tells him that you shouldn't stop here, Nathaniel. Don't just stop to say, you are the son of God, and boom, that's it. No. He says, Nathaniel, I got more for you. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? An initial encounter with Jesus needs to lead somewhere. That we don't stop there. We don't stop at our questions. We don't stop at invitations. But we keep going, and we keep making steps, because Jesus reminds Nathaniel, as he reminds us, there's greater things. That, yes, Jesus performs many miracles. And yes, he tells Nathaniel, oh, I saw you underneath the fig tree. Before you even realized I was there, I was there. But he refers to this story in the Old Testament of Jacob's ladder, where that, of this illustration of, of this dream that Jacob had of angels going up and down between heaven and earth that kind of predicted that the barrier between God and humanity would be overcome. And Jesus is saying, that bridge, that is me, that I am that way. I'm going to be more than you will ever imagine. So Nathaniel, don't stop just at feeling warm and fuzzy. Don't stop at the miracles or the things I predict because I'm out to change the whole human condition and to make a relationship that stretches from now into eternity possible for you. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? Well, I think it's simple. It's when we have questions, don't stop there. When you have questions or doubts or invitations, don't stop there. 
When you're feeling like, oh gosh, I'm not going to make a difference. How can I invite this person? Like, don't stop there. I, I can say that, that looking at the scripture and looking at how Nathaniel came to, to follow Jesus, I don't think Nathaniel had a, any comprehension of really truly who Jesus was before he began to follow him. And so what I'm saying here is that you can follow Jesus even before you become a Christian. Because it's along the way, along the journey, that I can say that I am here because those Sunday school teachers didn't stop there. I'm here because uh, that, that lady at the lab, Mary Ann, she didn't stop there. I'm here because Bear didn't stop there. I'm here because Frank didn't stop here. I'm here because a friend of a friend of a friend didn't stop there. I'm here because I didn't stop here. I'm here because God didn't stop here. And I am here because I have encountered Jesus and I continue to encounter him. So if you're skeptical, if you're on the edge, if you have questions because of the circumstances and the deaths in your life and the suffering and the pain and the things that people have never really answered or addressed, my word to you is three. Don't stop there. Whatever questions you're asking, whatever you're hoping, whatever you're dreaming, you, you will discover something much greater in Nazareth. And the starting point is simple. Don't stop. Don't stop. So I, I want to pray for us today, knowing that we're all at different places in our spiritual journey. Some that are just on the edge of faith, and we are so glad that you're here at Salem Field, that this is a place that you can ask your questions and, and be loved and, and experience God's presence among us. Some of us are, are trying to figure out what do we do with that person in our lives, that teenager, that family member, that person at work who, who is kind of on the edge and skeptical. I want to pray for us to let everyone know to, that we can feel God's presence here. We can ask for him to guide us. And so I pray, Father, I thank you for not giving up on us, Lord. I thank you for being a God who does not stop. But as a God of encounters, a God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be among us, to be with us, that means that you know everything, God, that we encounter. You've been through it all. You've been through the worst pain and trial and betrayal. You know what we're going through. And God, for those of us that are, have doubts and questions, help us to keep going. Help us to not stop at them, to see them as companions, not as barriers. Lord, for those of us that have been keep inviting and we keep having this person or these people just rejecting our invitation. Give us the strength not to stop, but rather to see them just as, as you saw us, as people that are in need of your grace and your love in a real way. Lord, we desire to encounter you. Help us to keep our eyes alert, our ears in tune to what you're doing in our lives and in our world. And Lord, thank you for inviting us to be a part of your kingdom here and now. And we praise you and we love you. And pray this in Jesus' name.
that he is our living hope. That no matter where we've been or what we've encountered in life, that the encounter that you had years ago is still as real today as it was back then. That you need to remember that, but don't stop there. Don't stop there. That your faith is meant to be grown in relationship, to be lived out, to be shared as you encounter God in each and every day. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, just thank you so much for your presence here today. Thank you for the questioners. Thank you for the skeptics. Thank you for, for those times that you've met us even before we realized it was you. Lord, help us to experience you, to give you strength, to walk ahead as people who are called to share the light, the hope, and the love that only you can offer. And Lord, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Thank you all for joining us today. Make sure you join us next week for the next installment of Encounters. Before you head out, turn it around and greet somebody that you don't know. Introduce yourself and tell them to have a happy Sunday.